Uh, the feeling in your gut when you say I'm sorry and you know that it's not enough. We're going to talk about that today as we continue in this series, Sorry Not Sorry. Before we do, um, we have lost absolute control of our lighting in here this morning. So uh, you're going to be sitting in the dark for the remainder of this service, but we'll open up all the shades. Let's open these two. I know it'll wash out the screen, but at least we'll get some sunlight in here and uh, we'll be able to kind of go through. You can see well enough, right? When those, when those shades are open. Okay, good. Well, hey, I, I want to kind of start off today by doing something with you. Uh, this is pretty straightforward. You'll kind of get the idea as we go. I'm going to have some acronyms we're going to throw up here on the screens, and I want you to tell me what they stand for as we go, okay? So uh, let's start with this one. Uh, FYI, will you just shout out what that, what that is? Easy one. All right, another one. VIP. Good. All right. RSVP. A little bit harder, right? <laughs> it's French. That makes it harder. Okay, how about this one? B-Y-O-B. What you use for that last B lets us know whether we want to go to your party or not. All right, T-G-I-F. That's good, all right. And uh, A-S-A-P. We have gotten so used to talking in acronyms and abbreviations, we're good at it. We can have whole conversations with each other just using letters, right? FYI, this TGIF, I'm inviting you to a BYOB over at my house. It's for VIPs only, and I need you to uh, RSVP ASAP, okay? My guess is most of you got all of those right, six out of six, that's pretty good. But I gotta tell you, as good as we've gotten at speaking this way, it's interesting to me that there are some acronyms we use all the time, we have no idea what they stand for. For example, let's see how well you do with this one. SWAT team, will you just turn to somebody next to you and tell them what you think SWAT stands for? Let's see how you did. Special Weapons and Tactics Team. Did anybody get that right? One person got that right in this whole lot of, okay, three people, all right. Here's another one, SCUBA. Tell somebody next to you what SCUBA stands for. Oh yeah, you got it. Self-Contained Underwater Breathing Apparatus. How many of you got that? Anybody? Okay, so maybe some of you who dive got that. All right, here's one. Laser. Laser's actually an acronym. Tell somebody what you think that might stand for. See if you can get at least even one word. Okay, light amplification by stimulated emissions of radiation. Did anybody get that at all? All right, one more, Pontiac. Piece of nauseating trash imitating a car. What that stands for. I'll tell you what, I made that joke once when I was preaching in Detroit. Did not go over so well. All right, my question, my question for you this morning, when did saying actual words become a burden? Uh, I'm all for abbreviating things, makes life a lot easier, but it just seems to me like some of these, uh, we, 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 we lose the words altogether. We don't even know what the acronym stands for anymore. Well, I, I bring this up because I wonder if with I'm sorry's, what we're talking about in this series, we have the same tendency. The tendency to uh, abbreviate or to, to make an acronym, basically to grasp the concept but not fully know the meaning. 
I don't know if you do a, a lot of reading, fiction reading, but a few years ago, I read a really interesting book while I was on vacation. Uh, not a Christian book, not even a book I would recommend. I say that because by the end of the book, I was actually kind of bored with it. But this book was called Henry's List of Wrongs. And it was about a man named Henry Chase who had grown up in a, a humble uh, kid in, in a small town and uh, taking a dark turn as this kid became an adult and grew into being a wealthy, powerful, manipulative lawyer in New York City. Uh, this book made Henry out to be the worst human being you've ever known. It actually gave him the nickname, The Assassin, because of the way he could wipe out the competition in the courtroom. I won't give the whole book away, but in the first few chapters, Henry has a spiritual awakening of sorts and realizes he hates the person that he has become. He recognizes he's developed into a horrible person and that he wants, or, or I should say, he needs redemption. He wants to be cleared of his sin and released and washed clean. And, and so he has this moment where he thinks he hears God speak to him out loud. And you will never believe what this voice says. Henry, you've got to make a list of the worst wrongs that you've done to people and then go make it right. Go back through your life and fix what you did to other people. Make your wrongs right. So what Henry does on his quest for redemption, he makes a list of five major wrongs that he did over the course of his life. Uh, he had an affair with a married woman and ended up breaking up her marriage. He stole a roommate's project in college that got him an incredible internship with that roommate needed. He pretended that he loved a girl in order to get to know her family who had great connections in the business world and then he dumped her once he made the connections. Basically, he stepped on people all the way to the top. Henry lists five huge wrongs and then he sets about to make them right. It's an interesting idea for a novel, okay? And as I read it, I had a reaction. This, this was something that fascinated me. I started to think, what would it be like if people really righted their wrongs? I mean, God has forgiven us when we've repented, but, but I cannot think of too many times in my life where I have actually ever gone and done the type of thing that I read about here and then went and made it right. And I thought, could I be missing something in Scripture that, that there's more to an apology than just words, and I'm sorry? And in fact, if you are someone who's received grace here this morning, we talk about that a lot around Crosswinds, God's forgiveness of your sin, unearned forgiveness. Could it be that in this concept right here of not having to earn God's forgiveness, many of us have been made right with God but not felt like we needed to then go try to right our wrongs. That maybe we receive grace, we tell others about it, but we've turned it into an acronym. Applying grace to our lives, but not remembering what it stands for on an everyday level. I mean, could it be that in my being made right with God, I forgot about righting my wrongs? It was a few days later that I came across this passage in the Bible we're gonna be looking at today. It's in Luke 19. The majority of our time today is gonna to be spent in this story. And this is a passage, this is a story I have heard since I was a kid, but this part of the story never really caught my eye until I had read that book on my vacation. And it's a story about making wrongs right. And as we read the story today and we dig into it, I want, I want, I want to challenge you to be asking yourself a question. Have I made like an acronym out of God's grace. Have I accepted it, applied it to my life, but forgotten the exact thing that grace stands for? 
So let's jump in, Luke 19, and we'll go right to verse one. We'll see it on the screen. Jesus entered Jericho, and he was passing through, and a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Now, let's stop here and talk about Zacchaeus for a few minutes, all right? It says that he was a tax collector, and you need to know that that immediately made him hated by the people that he lived around. Zacchaeus made a living off of taking money from other people. Now, if you're like me, you think, well, somebody makes a living taking taxes for me, and I don't hate them, and it's true. We are taxed, but we don't really put a face with the IRS that taxes us. We just know it's this big organization, and, and we don't really have any idea of who it is that's personally taking from us in most instances. So let me put it this way. If things changed, and instead of deductions from your paycheck or, or, or quarterly payments, and, and instead of you doing your taxes every April, if things changed and somebody came to your door weekly or monthly and you had to give them cash, I promise you, you would not like that person, right? <laughs> Imagine if you were not doing too well. The tax collector could see your rundown car in the driveway. They could, they could see structural damage to your house that needs fixing, but you don't have the money to fix it. You, you have more kids than you can reasonably feed. Imagine if seeing that truth about you, somebody pulled up in their Rolls Royce and took your money. You would understand why the people of that time might not like their tax collectors, right? Get this. Some believe the people of Jesus' time were paying 30 to 40% of their income on taxes and other fees. Well, Zacchaeus was not just any tax collector. It says he was the chief tax collector. He'd gotten so good at this that at some point, somebody promoted him to the level of manager of the other tax collectors. He was their boss. And the people of Jericho knew that he was the leader of the tax collectors. The other guys would come, and they would get their money from people at their homes, and afterwards they would turn in what they collected to Zacchaeus, who would then pass it along to the Roman government. And here, here's the important thing you need to know. People found themselves paying more tax than they were supposed to all the time. You think 30 to 40% sounds high? They would pay even more because these tax collectors were encouraged by their superiors to be fraudulent. They would overcharge people and they would keep the rest for themselves and no one would be able to prove it. Get this, some tax collectors would show up at your house and they would accuse you of illegally smuggling and they would bring these false charges against you all in the hope that you would pay them hush money so that you wouldn't have to go to jail. It was common, it was known and expected. Tax collectors in that time were corrupt. It was organized crime, really. There was nothing anyone could do about it, anything could do. Now, Zacchaeus is the chief tax collector. He is the guy that taught the guys at the door how to do what they do. He's the one that made them the cold-hearted robots they were. When people pleaded with the guy at their door to take less, to give them more time, that collector would say, oh, I would, but Zacchaeus, he would never let me do that. I would, but my boss, I'm sorry, it's Zacchaeus. It's his fault. Zacchaeus, hated by all of Jericho, this town, Jesus is passing through. So, verse 3. Zacchaeus wanted to see who Jesus was. 
He had only heard about Jesus. He hadn't seen pictures of him on the cover of People. He didn't catch the expose they did on Entertainment Tonight. Jesus had not yet started his YouTube channel at this point. There was no way to know what Jesus sounded like, looked like, any of that, without actually watching this Jesus guy for a while, live and in person. He's not just looking to catch a glimpse of Jesus. It doesn't say he, he wanted to see Jesus. What does it say? He wanted to see who Jesus was. But look at the rest of verse 3. But because he was so short, he could not see over the crowd. Now, real quick, this is important. In that day, princes, uh, other notable people, they, they would often be put in carriages on the shoulders of the group. They'd be above the crowd, given this royal treatment better than everybody else in town. But not Jesus. He was actually walking shoulder to shoulder with common people because he was a common person. And, and, and so Zacchaeus cannot see him, and he comes up with a plan. Check out verse 4. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Zacchaeus climbs a tree. Verse 5. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up, and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once, and he welcomed him gladly. Now, whether you realize it or not, a miracle has just happened. This is not healing the blind or casting a demon out of someone. It's not turning water into wine, but a small miracle has just happened. What is it? Jesus knows Zacchaeus' name. Remember, they had never met. They had no experience of each other, but Jesus somehow knew him. And being known by Jesus immediately melts Zacchaeus' heart. It lets him know that this is more than a religious teacher who's drawing a lot of attention. This is the Messiah that his religion has been talking about for years. And now, get this, Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, wants to stay at my house tonight? And, and you can just picture him jumping out of a tree and, and the crowd splits apart and they make a path while he runs to Jesus and he thanks him, he welcomes him, and then Zacchaeus runs home to start to get the place ready. Now, there's some uncertainty about what happens immediately after this. The Bible tells us that, that more interaction happens between the crowd and Jesus and Zacchaeus, but we aren't sure whether it happens right away or after they go to the house. It doesn't make a difference in the point of the story. It just helps to be able to picture this a little bit better. I prefer the theory that Jesus goes to Zacchaeus, his house, and they have dinner, and they spend plenty of time together. Zacchaeus understanding for the first time what it means to really have a relationship with God, to give his life to God, and to repent from his sin. I like to think that he and Jesus have an incredible time together, but all the while, there are people gathering outside of his house complaining about Jesus. Verse 7, all the people saw this and they began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. The people turn to each other and they start getting angry that Jesus would befriend Zacchaeus. Now, just so you can put yourself in their shoes, remember what we know about tax collectors. They are thinking, this sinner, the chief of all sinners, this man who robbed us month after month and year after year, to these people, this is not any old sinner. 
This is Zacchaeus. This guy had been a cruel, oppressive human being. His sin messed up their lives. He made their lives worse. In, in fact, some of them had been thinking, maybe Jesus, now that he is here, he's going to put an end to this whole corrupt tax thing that's been going on. They were waiting for Zacchaeus to be judged and convicted and, and, and not befriended. Well, Zacchaeus hears them complaining. And he understands why they feel this way, because he has been the cause of terrible suffering in their lives. And Zacchaeus has had his life change over the course of this meal with Jesus. Where he did not get it before, he gets it now. Clearly over the course of this meal, Zacchaeus feels sorry. He feels like he owes the people an apology. And, and we know this because when Zacchaeus hears that all of these people are complaining about Jesus, he rises to his feet and says, take a look at verse 8 here. Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And Zacchaeus does not just say the words, but he shows evidence of his sorry with some action. Did you say that word evidence with me? Let's just say it together. Evidence. We see evidence of conviction in his heart. All right, before we go on, let me tell you, there's evidence of a lot in my life. There's evidence of wrongs that I do and that I've done. Is there evidence of me trying to ever make it right? This man, this tax collector, this chief of sinners gave half of what he had to the poor. That's unheard of. It was incredible. It was unbelievable. The, the poor that he used to take from, that he grinned when he taught people methods for extracting their money. He was now going to give them half of all he owned. Not just half of his bank account or half of, half of his half of everything. Half of his clothes, half of his cattle, half of everything. Zacchaeus was giving 50% of all that he had. That's evidence. Look at the next part of this verse. He says, those that I've cheated out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Four times. Now, I want to show you something with this one. Let me show you where Zacchaeus got this idea to pay back four <laughs> times what he had stolen from people. Take a look at Exodus 22, okay? This is in Zacchaeus's and Jesus's scriptures, all right? If a man steals an ox or a sheep and slaughters it or sells it, they must pay back five head of cattle for the ox and four sheep for the sheep. So check that out. If you were caught and convicted in a Jewish court of law for stealing, this was the requirement, four or five times what you stole if you were caught and convicted. Now, take a look at Numbers 5. Remember, you're caught stealing, you pay back four or five times the amount. Numbers 5. The Lord said to Moses, say to the Israelites, any man or woman who wrongs another in any way and so is unfaithful to the Lord is guilty and must confess the sin that they've committed. They must make full restitution for the wrong they have done and add a fifth of the value to it and give it to the person they have wronged. Okay, remember the previous verse? If you're convicted of stealing something, pay back four times. But here it says, if Zacchaeus confessed his sin without being tried and convicted, he was only required to give back what was stolen in one-fifth more, 20% more. Zacchaeus is going above and beyond. He's confessed, but he's giving as if he was convicted. And I show you this, because this isn't just paying people back. It's evidence of a truly 
changed heart. A person who is actually sorry. He was gonna give more than he was required to give. And a new day had come where guilt was measured by conviction in your heart as opposed to just the, the court of human law. He stands up and he says, I will do whatever I can to make what I did wrong right. I love how Jesus responds to the crowd. What's what Zacchaeus has just said. He, he, he stands and he joins Zacchaeus and he says, take a look, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man, talking about himself, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. I came to look for these kinds of people and to save them. End of story. So let's go back to the question I asked you at the beginning of our time together. What if there's more to apologies to saying I'm sorry than just saying I'm sorry? What if God had something more in mind, something more like what Zacchaeus just did? I'm not, I'm not saying something more for salvation. It's enough to receive forgiveness. God's grace does not need our help as believers. Our eternities are secure, regardless of what you do after being forgiven. But, but what if maybe God had more in mind when he gave us the gift of his grace? What if he still wants us to make some kind of restitution? What if he never wanted us to abbreviate or make an acronym out of his grace and throw out the concept of actually righting our own wrongs and, and, what if, because we often don't do this, some things are not what they should be in our lives? With the last part of our time together, I wanna to point out three things that can happen when we don't right our wrongs, okay? The first, real simply, you multiply more sin into your life. Um, when I was 16 and first got my driver's license, I was a madman on the road. I had nowhere to go, but I knew I needed to get there fast. And, and, and so, sure enough, I got my first ticket at 16 shortly after getting my license. Now, in Illinois, where I was, it was pretty mild with that kind of thing. Uh, you would go to a class, you would pay a fine, and then you would get probation for like six months, and it would never go on your record if you didn't get another ticket within the next six months. Most people did that. Uh, a big penalty to pay, you lost a day at work or at school, you lost a lot of money, but uh, worth it to make sure your insurance rates did not go up. Well, my dad was a lawyer, and uh, he had many attorney friends, and so when I got this ticket at 16, I was the only person to show up at traffic court with my own lawyer. <laughs> and, and you know what I found out? If you had a lawyer go to traffic court with you in Illinois, he would walk up and talk to the judge while you just kind of sat in the audience. You would not have to go to traffic school all day. You would get to skip regular classes in high school so that you could be at court, and the lawyer would fix it so that you would get put on probation, a probation that lasted one day. And so I had a nice lunch. I went back to high school for the second half of the day, and within six months to a year, I got another ticket. In fact, I had one ticket for every year I drove from 16 until I was 22. And, and that's when I moved to California, where the only reason I didn't get tickets is because everybody drives like that around here. <laughs> when your wrongs are left unrighted, when there are no ramifications for them, sin multiplies. And I, I wonder if some of us see ourselves continually doing things that hurt ourselves, 
hurt other people, hurt God, and we can't figure out why we keep doing them. And maybe it's because we've been forgiven, but we've never had to make those things right. Let me give you another reason we should be righting our wrongs. A second, a second one, because when we don't, we leave people with wrong things wrong. Um, every once in a while, I have a bad day. I know, it's hard to believe. And uh, if somebody I am work with or I'm friends with or, or just somebody that sees me, catches me at just the wrong time and asks the wrong question or whatever, I might just kind of snap at them. All right, I feel horrible. They feel horrible. Actually, they probably feel worse than I feel. In fact, from my tone and what I said, they probably feel stupid and feel like they've done something wrong. But more often than not, it's just because I was having a bad day. All right, great news. I can walk away, and at the end of the day, I can say, God, I blew it today with people at the office. I was a jerk, and I feel good and forgiven by God. Next day, I'm even great, but the person I snapped at still feels stupid, still feels like they did something wrong, still feels inadequate. I've said words that tear people down, and I've left wrong things wrong, never gone back and apologized, never gone back and built somebody up, just been content to move on with my life. And, and I'll say to you, while the Bible's not clear about everything, there are some parts in it that seem to suggest that restitution really matters to God. Listen to some of these verses. I'll put two up. Exodus 22. If a person, if anyone grazes their livestock in a field or a vineyard and lets that livestock stray and they graze in somebody else's field, then what must happen? The offender must make restitution from the best of their own field or vineyard. Okay, take a look at Exodus 21. If a person's bull injures somebody else's bull and it dies, then the two parties are to sell the live one and divide both the money and the dead animal equally. All right, I know that's very ancient, so let's just put that in our day. The harmful words that you say to people, the predetermined judgments you make about people, the unrealistic expectations you put on employees or family members, the momentary lapse in loyalty you have to a friend, the times that you've cheated partners out of their fair share, the person you left behind who's wondering what's happened. If you don't make it right in their life, who will? A third thing that happens when we don't right our wrongs, we may get grace, but we delay healing. There's an interesting phenomenon that we see in the Bible. Often, when somebody writes about sin, they include this talk about how they need healing from something that either caused the sin or happened because of the sin. Listen to Psalm 41. David says, O Lord, have mercy on me. Heal me, for I have sinned against you. David asks for healing as part of his confession. James 5 says, therefore, confess your sins to each other, pray for each other, so that you may be healed. Again, confession and healing linked together. Now, I'm not saying that, that if you're not being healed from some sickness you have, it's because you've got wrongs you've not righted yet. But there are many of you who feel as if your soul is sick, that there's some kind of emotional disease in your life. The sin in my life is a sign of a part of my soul that is sick, that is not well. And Jesus is about healing that disease, making it healthy, you healthy and whole. But the way he goes about making you healthy from that sin disease, it's through the process of you righting these wrongs. You fixing what you messed up. Healing happens in that action. All right, I just told you three things 
that can happen when you don't right your wrongs. You multiply sin, people are left wrong, healing gets delayed as we finish up. Let me tell you one big thing, one great thing that's bound to happen. When you do right your wrongs, you show people what God can do to change a life. Can you, can you imagine what it must have been sitting at home that night that Zacchaeus decided to right his wrongs? You get a knock at your door and you see this tax collector there. And you freak out because here he is again to take even more of the little that you have. You are scraping by. You got just enough to make it. And here he is. He's going to take even more. But as you're going to get the cash, Zacchaeus says, stop. And he pulls out an envelope and you open it up and everything, everything he ever cheated you out of is there. And then you keep counting and there's one, two, three, four times as much as he had ever taken from you, and your jaw drops. You kind of laugh out the question, why? And Zacchaeus simply says, I was wrong. I stole from you. I made your life unbearable. I apologize. That's why. And you say, why now? And Zacchaeus, he says, Jesus, because he came to seek and save lost. There is no better evidence of Jesus than evidence of a life changed. And here's the thing. There is no better evidence of your life changed than you making things right. Why else would anyone do that? You've heard people say that Christians are supposed to live life in such a way that people look at them and they say, there's something different about that person. Okay, let me just be honest with you. The closer people get to me, the less likely that is to be a reality. Because I sin, just like them. I wish that I could stop it completely so that they could see that I was following Jesus. They could see it through my, my lack of sin for the rest of my life. You know what? Never gonna happen. But they can know what Jesus has done in me by being somebody who goes back and makes it right when I do sin. That is different. No one does that in our world. When, when you right your wrong, People see a miracle of God in your life that, that you are different than everyone else. God has done a work in you. You know, as we've been doing this today, for many of you, God has been bringing something to mind, some wrongs. Some of you are thinking of two or three things right now, wrongs you've done that you cannot shake. You know you've been forgiven. You know you're in this relationship with God, but, but you have never made those things right. Maybe it was last week, maybe it was 10 years ago. And as we read this story and as we talked about what happens when we leave those things, some specific wrongs came to your mind and you're wondering if you can really do it, if you can really go through with trying to make it right. The cost of making it right seems pretty high. What would I lose if I did that? But what would you gain? Sure, you might lose some pride. Is that so bad? Yes, you might lose a friend if they knew the truth about what you did to them or said about them. But maybe, maybe it'll make you closer. Yes, someone might punch you in the mouth if they knew what you did to push them out of the way so that you would get promoted. But you know what? You'll live. Nobody died from a punch in the mouth. A number of bad things can happen from trying to right your wrongs, but a lot of right things can happen too, like you living out the fullness of God's grace 
for everybody to see. My challenge for you today, those things that you've done wrong, go make them right. Now listen, I'm not, I'm not saying to go back through your life and make a list of everything. I don't think that would be doable. I'm not even sure if that would be wise. But the ones that God is bringing to your mind right now, he's bringing to your mind for a reason. Go and make them right. You know, it's amazing. Here's the thing about writing these kinds of relational wrongs. You don't have to know what to do. It starts with you apologizing, and then usually the people will tell you what they need from you to feel like things have been righted. You don't have to have it figured out. All you have to remember is two things. Sorry, and how can I fix this? In fact, let's practice it together. Sorry, how can I fix this? I lied to you. How can I fix your trust in me? I told people something I shouldn't have told people about you. I'm sorry. How can I fix it? I promised you till death do us part, and I left you. How do I fix that? One of the hardest things you will ever do in following Jesus Christ is right your wrongs. It doesn't come naturally. It is almost always easier to walk away. But you've got to know it is the greatest evidence of God at work in you. It is a great way for you to measure who you've become and who you are becoming. All right, will you stand with me? Let's pray together before we go. God, I'm gonna make this as simple a prayer as I know. Give us courage. Give us courage to say these two very important things. I'm sorry, and how can I fix this? God, we cannot do it without your power and your strength. So God, may you have changed us enough, transformed us into your likeness enough that we can be bold and courageous and ask people how we can fix it. And all God's people said, amen. 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 Thanks for coming today. We'll see you next week.